Hey everyone, welcome to episode 25 of Business Therapy. My name is Sam, I'm here with Jonathan, and today we have Heidi Drawshack as our esteemed guest. She's coming to Business Therapy today to ask us a question about reading the room and client negotiations. So I will kick it over to her to introduce herself and then she can better articulate her question as a subject for today's discussion. Thanks, Sam. Thank you guys for having me again. Uh, I am Heidi Drawshack. Uh, for today's podcast, I am the managing director of Antrim Gray Solutions, which is a boutique political consulting company. And yeah, I'm here to ask about how to read the room and determine when to renegotiate or negotiate your pricing with clients. And I'm happy to elaborate. <laughs> well, how is it manifested, Heidi? Uh, how, how, like, What's the scenario, you know, lay out a scenario, lay out how it played out in the past. Sure. So I'll give you a little bit of context. So we are relatively small. Um, so I renegotiate all of our contracts with all of our clients on an annual basis. Uh, most of it is pretty personal. I've known clients for years in most of these circumstances. A lot of times I know them personally or have had, you know, years to develop a personal relationship with them. And because almost all of our client, uh, almost all of our contracts are annual renegotiations. Some of them are ongoing, and so we kind of choose when to renegotiate. But most of them come up for an annual renewal. And what I have found is it can be very, very difficult to read the room and understand when a client is ready for bigger scope, uh, when a client is just looking to plateau, and when a client is actually looking for a discount. So being able to determine how to pitch a client when you're renegotiating and, you know, kind of determine, is this client ready for a bigger contract? Should we be offering discounts to keep this client? Or, you know, do we just stay the course for another year at the existing rate? And I will say uh, one more piece of context. Uh, one of the things that's kind of interesting in my space is because we're relatively small and because a lot of these efforts are relatively personal. And by that, I mean, the client, it's kind of like their baby. So this is either a political effort that they're working on or it's a public advocacy effort that they're working on. There's a lot of wiggle room. Like you technically could, you know, blow the scope up, you know, four times and say like, hey, we could do this and we could do that. And we could do this. Um, so I guess part of it is unlike, you know, a software company where it's like, hey, we have this one extra feature, this one extra add-on. The world is kind of my oyster when I go into a lot of these uh, price and renegotiations because I could truly double, triple, quadruple, or even half my services. Um, so yeah, I just the, really trying to figure out how do I make that determination because sometimes when you don't read the room appropriately, uh, it can lead to a pretty soured uh, conversation with the client, which is always you know try, always trying to avoid that. Oh, so first response, Jonathan. Uh, no, 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 I, I just I saw you unmute, so I, I, I was going to let you go, Sam. No, go ahead. I was. I mean, there's a lot of thoughts around this topic. I think it's a very relevant topic for a lot of people across different business segments. And reading the room, especially, I'll start by saying reading the room is now different. A lot of times, and this is in the virtual context. I assume a lot of your recent negotiations have been in the virtual context, Heidi. Yeah. And it's tough because the, even the way that the question and the problem is posed is a lot of what do the clients want? 
So if I was going to start there, well, there's two parts of this. There's what does the client want? And then I also would like to comment on that's only half of the story. So we'll definitely talk about how do you read the client and how do we start to determine what the client's getting out of the relationship, how to read those cues and then expand or retract on, on that, that mutual offering. But I think it's also very critical to say the other dimension, which is what do you want and what can you confirm about what you're getting? And just like any relationship, a relationship with the client is one, um, a healthy one is one of reciprocity, one of mutual give and mutual receive. And I think a lot of the negotiation or the ability to read the room is also ability to read yourself and let your own, let your, because what you're, it's always easier to sit down and say what you're feeling about the relationship or about what you're producing or about what you're providing. So making sure that that's also front and center when you're considering how to navigate these conversations is, is critical in my opinion. So I did want to start with there expanding the conversation to say, it's not just reading the client, but it's also reading your own feelings because I've seen a lot of people go into negotiations or thinking about how to strategize a negotiation and they focus more on the client than themselves. And then they make and create this great strategy. But when they get up to it, they're betraying their own feelings or they're betraying their own uh, part in the relationship. And then they'll stumble when they actually try to execute on their strategy because it's not aligned with what they want or what's positive for them and what they're getting. So harmonizing those two things, I think is really critical. So when we, when we're summarizing my first thought about the topic, You've got to come to the table and analyze both. You've got to read yourself as well as reading the room. Jonathan, do you have any initial uh, thoughts? I'll, I'll extend that, that idea. The very question implies that the power is with the other person in the room, as though you're at the mercy of their reaction. And you'd say, well, of course I am. They're the ones who decide to pay or not. But it's, and it's as Sam is saying, it's like any relationship. You always need to have your eye on what are my boundaries you know, like what, what am I willing to do? What am I not willing to do? What's, what's healthy for me in the long term? What's not healthy? What do I respect about myself? You know, what's my value? And what, for what would I be willing to walk away? So if you're, if you're offering additional service, they don't want something, that's one level. But if you're saying that your fees have gone up and the client doesn't want to pay, the real question is, at what point are you willing to walk away? Just like in any relationship, you know, at what, at what point is this going to go below you? And understanding those dynamics and the fact that you're at least 50% as powerful as the other person in the room is a definite first start to any negotiation. Because the second the negotiation starts with it's when, when it's convenient for them or when it works for them, that's never going to be uh, uh, lead to a successful outcome. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I think there's also a question. I think you guys are appropriately... Uh, making, you know, making me realize something that I've thought about often, which is, you know, when would I be willing to walk? I think it's a difficult question, especially when things get, you know, everything's always in a gray area. And so I think a lot of times you go into those, these negotiations and you say like, okay, if they're going to, you know, half our cost, that's something we can't do. Like I am willing to walk, but I think what gets a lot more nuanced is when a client says like, well, you know, you were expecting a, I walk into the negotiation and I was expecting a 10% increase in my costs next year. And the client comes back and says, what about a 10% decrease next year? And now all of a sudden it's this question of like, well, is that enough for me to walk? But also it's obviously not what I want. And so I guess there's also my follow-up question would be, 
certain things are so abusive. There's just a certain amount of, and then I have had this before where I've just said to clients, like, I'm not doing this. I, you know, whether it's the quality of the work or the price negotiation or something where I just say like, sorry, we're not interested in re-engaging. Um, but I think when you're in that gray area, I guess the question is, can there be a gray area? Is there, you know, a space where you can say like, well, I'm kind of bending on what I want, but I'm still in, you know, in, in, uh, summary, I'm still happy with where we're at, or is it really, does there have to be like an on-off switch and you have to be ready to walk as soon as, you know, you don't get your optimal? I, I think, of course, there, there's some element of gray area, but there's always two things to keep in mind. Every time you're servicing a client that you don't want to, it's t- consuming your time from servicing potential clients who might be much healthier for you and m- m- might be a much better fit and uh, a much better uh, relationship. And the other thing is, the kind of client where you can't uh, be in a scenario that you could provide services at a sustainable rate is not one that's going to last anyway. So I would suggest that it's a good idea to, uh, um, to try and push the conversation in your mind as much as possible to what is the, the, the limit of, of where I want to walk. Because even if you, even if something's gray and by gray, I assume it means, you know, you have extra profit margin and you've decided, you know, you could, you could afford to have uh, uh, less or more. Um, you're also establishing that for the rest of the market on some level for yourself. So every time you do something because one client eked a lot out of you, you make it much harder to uh, create that uh, strength for yourself everywhere else in the market for every other client. So now that becomes your lowest common denominator. And uh, that, that's a hard uh, uh, place to escape from. Mm-hmm. And I'll also contribute some perspective on that. I agree with everything Jonathan's saying. And then in addition, it's always good to have a perspective of it's walking is such an intense way to, to characterize losing a client or, you, you know, you're going to make something work or you're going to lose this client and walk away psychologically we're all very adverse to the feeling of losing something and the sense of, okay, I'm going to like the worst thing that's going to happen is I'm going to lose this client. And, and it's not completely accurate. And I think it changes the threshold when you're, when you're contemplating it as, okay, what am I willing to go down to and to give away profit that's tenable? So I don't lose this thing that I have. And that's why I definitely would encourage you to think about it as really, it's not about, am I going to keep or lose this thing, but what is my best alternative to this thing? So it's kind of thinking about it more as a substitution. And one of my favorite books on negotiation, Getting to Yes, I, I think I'm attributing it to the right source, but they talk about the, the BATNA, the B-A-T-N-A, which I think is a really critical way to think about it. And that stands for the best alternative to a negotiated agreement. So when you're thinking about going into negotiation, you always want to be defining your BATNA. And again, that kind of it, it, it requires self-reflection to articulate it because it's basically saying that it's not the worst case scenario here is not losing this client. The worst case scenario in a negotiation is having to re- resort to exercising my best alternative to the negotiated agreement. And that's why you have to think through that logic to say, well, if I didn't have this client, I'm not gaining this revenue, but I'm also gaining back a ton of time. And how would I use that time? Would I be able to find another client? Do I have the financial foundation to uh, wait with no revenue for a while? So the worst thing that can happen in a, in a negotiation, if you've thought through it, is not losing the client. It's having to rely on your BATNA. 
And I think that really, for a lot of people, changes the, the strength in which you go into these conversations. Because if they're not willing to be a partner and meet you where you're at, then you've already thought through, okay, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to repurpose this time constructively? What other options are available to me? And, and, that, and that doesn't make it this zero-sum conversation where I'm either going to go and I'm going to get what I want, or I'm going to have to accept something less, or I'm going to just lose this thing. Because the, the idea is that space would be filled with something else, presumably, and that could even be leisure time or just not taking on more work or whatever it is. But having thought through that and making sure that you and your team have, have articulated what that is and what that contingency looks like is going to help you know what your boundaries are, I think, more realistically than just assuming that the world is in this black box, that it's either going to be binary, one or zero, like yes or lose kind of, kind of scenario. I agree with that, but I, the reason I always start from where are you willing to walk is because if there isn't that implicit uh, understanding within yourself that there is th- that you have a boundary, at the, th- then you that then that is sensed and that's going to going to permeate every conversation. It doesn't mean that everything becomes an ultimatum because that's not productive at all. And I'm not suggesting that you start with an ultimatum and this is the point I'm going to walk. What I was suggesting is that I've seen too many entrepreneurs not having that point in their mind. And at that, in that point, they have no boundary. And then they find themselves getting, being taken for granted, like everything else you would see in a relationship and doing more work than they can and not having a sustainable uh, uh, model. And they don't understand how they got there. And it, and it starts with having confidence in, in the service you're delivering and, and the value that you're adding and expecting that that's going to, to be valued. When it comes to what else you could do, you know, so it's, it's not always about pricing because you have a lot of levers at your disposal. There's your scope. So if client's not, you know, oh, I understand client, you, you can't uh, do a discount right now, uh, you know, or, or an increase right now because, you know, times are tough. Well, let, let's uh, curtail the scope a little bit or let's change the payment terms, you know, so that you're not, uh, so, so you're getting the money faster or your expected service levels. Maybe they're not going to be like every time their email comes in, you have to respond uh, immediately. And then there are some ideas, you know, so there, there are some other things that might be of value to you in lieu of fees. So, if, so you're, you're asking me, client, to partner with you because you can't afford right now to, to do an increase. Okay, partner with me. Maybe you can get me two referrals this year, you know, or partner with me. And, you know, so, so see what other things that are of value. But this is just like, you know, and... It's interesting because in, in, in relationships, I never think of ultimatums because I'm always looking to see how to optimize something, not, not how to end something. So I, I, I sh- maybe I shouldn't have started with the idea of, of walking away, but I, I do believe that that's something people have to appreciate it, you know, exists. But if you're looking to optimize something and the other person in the relationship, even in a business relationship, is not looking for the same at all, eventually you will be discarded. So you know, so, so these are other areas, you know, the, some suggestions I just gave right now are some other ways that you could test that and, and establish something that's mutually beneficial, even in the absence of, of, of increase in fees. And, and before you respond, honey, just one more quick thing to add to that list, because I think it's super critical is priority, which Jonathan kind of mentioned it, but a lot of things you can negotiate on is just being honest with clients that, hey, if you have to stay at the same price and you expect the same service, you will let, let them know, like, realistically, your priority as a client for us will be going down. And it's not, a, it's not a threat or a bad thing. It's just like he said, you might not be the first email that gets responded to because we have other clients and we have other priorities. And if your value of this relationship is X, then your priority will be 
uh, commensurate. And that can be an awkward conversation, but I think it's an honest one because they have to know that your scope for this cost is not tenable and it has to change somewhere. Something has to give and they have to agree with the reality of that to some extent. Yeah, that's interesting because I think in the past, um, probably done a lot of what you're talking about subconsciously, but I've never clarified it to the client, which I think can lead to a lot of contention because like I'll go into a price negotiation and, you know, like, let's say I'll ask for an increase one year and then the client will basically negotiate me down to our same rate. And then in my head, I will kind of re figure the client and to your mm. point, I'll either make them a lesser priority or I'll kind of mentally note like, okay, we need to start spending a little bit less time on this. But I think then because I don't communicate with that with the client, the client both gets frustrated and I start looking worse instead of actually saying like, okay, look, if you can't meet me where I'm asking you, that's totally fine. But I just want to be realistic about what those consequences are going to be over the next year. So that way when they happen, and then suddenly the client starts realizing like, oh, she's working on this a little bit less than they were last year. Instead of it being like, oh, well, that's because I wouldn't agree to the price negotiation. It just looks like I'm getting, you know, lazier at my job. And so that actually is very interesting. And I think that's definitely something I could take into the negotiations because I always plan for what my ask is and like what the resources the client would gain but I don't come up with a plan of saying, okay, if they do push me down, like, what am I going to clarify to the client that they're losing? And again, it doesn't have to be in an angry tone. And it can just be, I have clients that are like that, where, you know, especially through COVID was a perfect example. Like I had certain clients that just couldn't increase their, you know, they just couldn't make do the increase. Um, but then being able to say to them in a very non-confrontational way, like, look, that's totally fine. We can work with you, but I just want you to be aware of what the side effects are going to be. Uh, may lead to less contention down the road because I think if you don't make those clear, which the more you guys talked about it, the more I realized I probably never had. The client just feels like you're starting to let this, you know, let things slip instead of kind of realigning yourself. Although another thing I was kind of thinking about while you guys were talking, and I'd be curious about this, is I'm in a very, my whole team is in a very fortunate position because we actually work on things that we really like. Um, you know, one of my favorite things about having our own business is we choose our clients, we choose what issues we want to take on. And, you know, I always joke, like a lot of our clients, if I wasn't working for them, I'd be volunteering for them. And don't tell them that, but <laughs> it's like, there, you know, there's this issue of, I really care about a lot of the issues, like, especially, you know, for example, like we have a good governance client and we're fighting for campaign finance reform. Like that's something I would go volunteer my time on the side for. And so I think sometimes, it puts me in, and, and it's interesting, like Jonathan, you were saying, what's your ultimatum? It puts me in a little bit of a weird space because it's like my ultimatum would be like, I would do this for less money or like, I, you know, quite frankly, some of this I would do for no money just because I like it. And so I'm curious how that kind of plays into it. Because again, I recognize that's a good thing, I think in general, and it means that I'm working on things that I like, but in a weird way, it almost makes me more, uh, susceptible to somebody pushing me because I don't have that pushback to be able to say like, I'll just drop you. Like then I'll have leisure time. Cause it's kind of like, well, I really like this project. I'd rather not lose it. Um, so I'm curious how that kind of factors into things. It, it's about being communicative and deliberate. So it's the same thing like in any relationship, if you want to do something pro bono, you know, or you want to do something at a discount because you believe in the cause you know, maybe you have a certain percentage of your book of business that falls under that category and you declare it as such. You just don't want to do it 
because without being expressive about it, because you don't know what kind of expectations you're creating on the other side by not being communicative. And eventually it will matter to you because eventually you can't do all these projects for free. You know, eventually your, your margins get tighter. Uh, maybe that client who uh, you do, you believe in their project, they start uh, hassling you for doing to do more or they're, they're unhappy with your service. And then in your mind, you're saying, well, I was happy just to do a free, you know, I'm not even charging you for X, Y, Z, but they don't know any of that. And so That's by true. not establishing and maintaining your value consciously, you're risking perverting something that could be very good and perverting that relationship. And, and I've seen uh, a lot of entities do this either because they like the work, they get super excited and, you know, the, uh, you know, as you're saying, like all the things, all the ways that, you know, you could add value to them. You could be helping them so much, or, you know, you get um, uh, at the beginning, you're, you have so many contracts and everything is, you know, your margins are great, et cetera. But, but that if it changes over time, if your margins get tighter, or if you find yourself liking other projects or even more projects, now you've locked yourself in. You don't really have a way to maneuver yeah. out of what you are. And you're going to be suddenly coming to this client that you were happy to help saying, hey, I can't really do all this anymore. Like they didn't even know any of these conversations occurred. They didn't even know what expectations you were mm -hmm. setting uh, what you weren't uh, setting. And I still think at the end of the day, you need to know your value. You're adding value X, Y, Z. It really doesn't matter if you're enjoying it, not enjoying it, you know, or actually I think you should be doing most of the work that you enjoy. And I think you're going to get the most productive uh, uh, result, but you still need to know your value. Even if you're giving it away, you need to declare it and you need to make it super clear. Because the, the worst thing is not a lack of communication, what expectations and, and assumptions other people are making, and then getting uh, becoming a prisoner to those. So then you want to do a renegotiation later on. And, you know, you're thinking increase. The client has only seen one thing from you. Like, oh, you know, she's always willing to do even more. But nobody, she's never said a word about charging or anything. And suddenly you say charging. It's like, now you've just changed the whole term of the relationship because all your actions aren't aligned to what your the words coming out of your mouth at that point. So you want to be consistent. Yeah, and I want to address that from a slightly different angle. And again, completely aligned with what you just said, Jonathan. But I, I want to encourage everyone to think about money as energy. It's a common theme and it changes the way you think about it because you're not trying to get somebody's money and the idea that you'd be willing to volunteer and do the same activities it's not a it's not really a a concession for the client so that you can continue working on these efforts you know when when john it's another way to think about when jonathan says know your value you cheat yourself if you're passionate or you're excited to do something within a certain domain or you want to work on this project Energy is just amplifies your effort and it makes everything you do more impactful. And for you to say, I'm willing to do this with less energy means that you're basically saying, I'm willing to do this at a suboptimal level, or I'm willing to cheat myself the amplification that could be afforded for me doing this effort with, without more you know, energy being given to you. I guess maybe a more tangible example of that is, you know, let's say you want to build houses for Habitat for Humanity you know, and that's a great volunteer project. And they said, you, you can volunteer, but you have to put it together. And I'm not going to give you a hammer. You could still say, yeah, I mean, this is great. And I'd love to volunteer. And you could take, find rocks and things and start trying to putting the nails in however you could, but you're cheating yourself. 
and you can put on a happy face, but it, it's not what you could be amplified and anyone who wants to support you and have a relationship would want to give you that energy. So I don't know if it's a fair way to represent the situation. And for anyone out there thinking, you know, I don't want to deprive myself of the ability to do something I want to do or do something good and close down this relationship. The relationship is closing as soon as somebody on the other side of it is not willing to give you any energy to support you because they're basically saying money is a, is a way to, it's a proxy it's to say, we want to put our energy elsewhere. And, and knowing your value is a lot of knowing where you can do the most good in the world and align yourself with the things that are most important to you in the most effective way possible. And, and it's cheating yourself to not put yourself in a situation where you're not going to get that, that energy to help you grow, help you learn, help you do more. And in fact, it, you know, you cheat yourself, but you also cheat the things you care about because you're, you're working without a hammer. You're working with one hand tied behind your back. And it's never a position that anyone I think wants to find themselves in at least over a prolonged period of time, because you, you can find that energy somewhere else and really create more. It, and ex extending Sam's idea, you're still making a choice because you've just decided that somehow you can only do this exciting work and not get paid. Why can't you do, there is an exciting work out there that you could also get paid. Like, yeah. why would you just cut that out? That's why I'm starting with the idea of know your value because you need to still have a sense you're giving something valuable out to the world, you know? So, and, and if there's no acknowledgement of that, eventually it won't sustain itself, you know? So, and you also don't know when you're helping and there isn't a pull for it. So the, the and the pull is saying, I, the client saying, I want to buy this from you, even if you've generated the pull by advertising, whatever, but if there's no pull because you're just happy to help, right? You don't know if that pull is actually desired. You don't know if it's going to be consumed and eventually it won't be sustained. So when you have a, a especially in a transaction with, with a client, there needs to be a sense that the client understands that they are specifically seeking X, Y, Z from you and you are specifically giving that to them because everything else may or may not be true, may or may not be reality. And that is a very yeah, dangerous to place say. to be. Well, I was about to say, and that's very interesting because I do think um, I've caught, my, I, I've had myself caught in both scenarios. And so it's interesting that you differentiate them because I've had scenarios where I'm aligned with what the client wants or, or what I want to do is aligned with what the client wants. And then I agree with you and Sam, your, your hammer analogy, I think really, uh, is very intuitive because it's, I mean, the hammer, I think in this is staff and resources. And so it's like, yes, I can do a lot of this by myself. And, and it's funny because I've even at times in my career, I've thought of that. I've been like, well, what if I just quit my job and I just do this as a volunteer? But the truth is I would have way less resources and I would probably be way less productive because now I can afford to pay staff who, you know, make my work much better and wider. And I have resources that I can use all these different things. So I think that's actually a really good analogy. And I think it, it proves a good point of why, you know, yes, I could do this as a volunteer. I'm moving my camera. Um, but why would I go about it myself if I could just, you know, if I could do it with all these resources and all this energy behind me? So I think that's very interesting. But Jonathan, to your point, I do think there have been points in my career where I've been super excited about something and I desperately want my clients to be excited about it. But quite frankly, they're not. And so there's, and that's where I have found myself misaligned where I'm super excited. I'm trying to convince them to be excited, 
But from their perspective, you're right. They're saying like, look, we want X, Y, and you keep pitching Z and like, sure, maybe we'll support it a little bit, but there's not a lot of excitement there. And so I actually do think I've been working on moving in that direction of saying like, I need to be listening to what my clients want and then making sure, you know, again, am I aligned with that? And there are certain things that my clients want where I'm like, look, I don't think that makes any sense or, you know, I don't want to do that. Um, But I think listening and saying like, okay, maybe on X and Y that you're asking me, here's the service offering that we can do, but maybe Z where you really have no interest. Maybe that is where I volunteer. Maybe that is where I go find a different partner who's interested in Z. Um, Because I think that is probably where a lot of these conversations sometimes are, you know, they're floundering a little bit because my interests are not necessarily aligned with the clients. And I've been on the other side of that too. I mean, I've had people pitch me things where I'm like, I honestly just don't need this. <laughs> and then, you know, to your point, Sam, the energy isn't flowing in the right place because the client doesn't actually want it. So yeah, I think and, this is all and very it's, interesting. It's, it's the same, even if you know the client needs it, even if you know it would be better for the client, it doesn't matter. Like that, that, that will not serve you well. Yeah. And, and this is where it gets down to what we always talk about thinking about value. And especially when you're coming up and when we started this conversation about how do I read the room, the doing the exercise of doing a voice of the customer is really important on a, on a very regular basis. And this, this speaks to kind of more of a fundamental of business that, that we really espouse here at Truval, which is talking about, it doesn't really matter what you're selling. It matters the value or the benefit that the client is getting out of that. And you have to be very empathetic, especially in situations where, you know, the industry you're in or the sector you're in, because you could be selling uh, something and the client is, is actually enjoying the actual, what their value that they're getting could be something totally different or divorced from what you're selling. And it's very easy then for the negotiation, like you said, you're selling X, Y, and there's a Z factor and it's not really being talked about. Let me make this more, more tangible. So if you were in a company and I was selling you like a watch, you would assume that you're talking about, okay, they're getting value from buying a watch because they could tell time, but it could be because they're buying a fancy watch for the prestige or they're buying it. What they actually get out of the watches. They like, you know, it could be a social status thing. It could be because it allows them to get into a particular club or space, this particular watch. So the watchmaker, if you go to a negotiation and you haven't gone through the actual customer experience or what they're actually getting from your product or service, the negotiation is not going to make sense to them. If you pitch them, well, I'm going to make the watch cheaper, or I'm going to make the watch tick faster or more accurately, that could be completely divorced from what they're buying. And I think a lot of times, especially in the type of services industry that you're in, having a check-in with your team and trying to run through a customer persona exercise of, okay, they've, they've been consuming these services from us for the last year. What value have they actually been getting? Because if they're engaging with you, they're still getting something out of it but it may not be what you are selling or the intention that you had in delivering those services initially. And that's going to cause a fundamental disconnect in the conversation. And sort of like what you're talking about, which is you're trying to continue this thread of how do we iterate on giving you a more value adding service? But that could be from your perspective. If the client's actual value gain from the transaction is like sort of what I mentioned, it might be non-intuitive for you because they can talk that they are part of this organization. It's a status symbol for them. It's a prestige thing. It's them being involved in certain social circles or groupings. I mean, politics, especially, there's so many different motivations going on when you're talking about doing this type of work. And if you're not in tuned or you can't confidently walk in and say, here's the service I'm providing, but here's what the value the client's actually getting, 
then the negotiation could be in a different planet. And that's going to also cause a lot of tension uh, when you go into that. And that can, like I said, even more, more uh, logical consumer goods. The benefits can sometimes be very far from what you think. And a company, this is for all companies, you lose track of what that value exchange looks like. Then the communication is going to break down and the energy is just going to trickle down and you're going to feel that tension. So I would definitely recommend anyone going into contract negotiations, especially in your space, to think about, okay, put yourself in the customer's shoes. What are they actually buying? What are they getting out of this relationship? And you have to start as that as like the central point for the negotiation. Yeah, I think that's interesting because like you said, I've definitely found myself in spaces where I am probably very excited about one part of the project, but the client, quite frankly, like you said, just has a totally different priority. And I think sometimes I don't do a good job of catering to that because to me, it seems stupid or useless, <laughs> but that's, you know, that's not fair because the client does have a different perspective and they have their needs. And I think being able to pitch accordingly probably would make for a much more successful pitch because instead of trying to push everything and, and it's funny because I one time this was it crystallized specifically I'll never forget a couple of years ago with one client who I was pitching basically as a consultant to say like here's what you know the services I can give to you and a potential client came back to me and basically was like well if we want if you want me to fund your effort and basically made it clear that like he thought I was pitching like my idea and was basically like, help me like create this baby of mine. And I, you know, there was this fundamental disconnect where I was sitting there being like, I thought I was addressing your needs. And they were so off base that the client basically was like, well, I don't know if you want me to, you know, basically fund your efforts. And so I think, you know, fortunately that hasn't happened that often since, but I think really trying to say like, instead of what do I want to deliver as a consultant, but more, what do my clients, what are my clients interested in um, probably would make for a less contentious price negotiation or any negotiation for that matter. And, and I think there are two dimensions to the misalignment of value. One is the one we're, we're talking about right now, you know, where it's unclear, you're, you're not hundred percent clear on what the client actually values. It doesn't, but then even when there's alignment for what the value is, at all times, you're either enhancing the perception of that value or diminishing the perception of that value. And by giving things away, you're definitely diminishing the value. Even if it's valuable, you're, and I'll keep coming to this word, you're perverting the value of it because people take it for granted or they, they believe they get what they pay for. You know, So by not establishing the value and being confident in that value, you undermine that value. And that's the worst kind of misalignment because then the client still needs whatever it is. And yet there's, you know, this expectation not to get paid for it. So you're, you're, we're taking the whole definition of value of, you know, whatever the customer is willing to pay. And you're saying, oh, the customer was willing to pay this, but because of my actions and my diminishing my own value, the customer is not willing to pay, you know, or, or doesn't see it as value. So that you don't want to create that misalignment unintentionally un, un, or unnecessarily. But then I guess the million dollar question is, if you've done that in, let's say, like a specific area for years where you've kind of offered certain services, probably completely invisible to the client, pretty much on a pro bono basis, how do you realign that? Like, is there a way to keep an existing client and basically say like, hey, we've been doing this in the background and it's basically gone unseen for years? 
and now we want to be recognized for it i guess yeah like i said kind of a million dollar question like how do you bring that back into the light in an appropriate manner jonathan you have a lot of experience with this particular topic don't you in your career (laughs) yeah but i'm going to take it back to what we said at the beginning of the conversation it is really like any relationship there really is no difference you know and, and other than you know, the, the degree of choice in it, you know, potentially and in, in investment, I don't know. But at the end of the day, you are, you're always able to have any honest conversation with anybody and including a client and all because, and, and I've said this outright to clients. Yeah. You've been getting this for free for three years, you know, or whatever it is, you know, shame on us, but you know, it's, it, we need to address it at this point. It does, you know, it, it, it's not reasonable. It's not sustainable what we've done and enjoy your extra, you know, money that, you know, you didn't have to spend and all the great results that you got uh, during that time, but now we need to do it. But it does start with really a lot of times what we think happen over time, it's still happening today because it's, if, we're, if you're being mindful and present today, you're holding on to the past. It's not even so much like afraid of the conversation. It's the same fear that you had all along the way or, avoided having the conversation you had, you, you didn't have all, you know, along the way, just inherited a company today and it wasn't your company. So free from the baggage, free from anything you did and took a look at the company and said, Hey, we're giving X for free. You know, like, what would you do? Would you just continue it? Because, Oh, we've done it till now. No, you'd say like, okay, what's our plan? We're going to, we need to address this. So start with a conversation and say to maybe because of the history of it, you say, okay, we're going to give you 60 days. We're going to give you a year you know, whatever it is, but you need to be very confident and see every single moment in, in being a very present that you're giving X away and continue to do so. Yeah, I, I just can't overemphasize the importance of staying present and being confident staying present. I think a lot of people, it's very typical to be weighed down by historic precedent in negotiations like you were just, I think, articulating Heidi and being transparent is always being transparent and honest. So if you haven't in the past highlighting those services that have been in the background that may not have been appreciated and then not really feeling burdened by bringing them up suddenly. I mean, it really, we we talk about analogies to just how all relationships function. Client relationships are no different. If you've been somebody who, who, for whatever reason, you decided that you were going to be your partner at home and your, your spouse, you're the one cleaning the house every day. And you've done it since your relationship started. And suddenly you're getting tired and you, and you, you know, you feel that you don't want to do it anymore. You can't not go to your partner and say, Hey, well, I've been doing this for the last three years. So I'm going to do it for the rest of my life. And we're not going to consider it in the present moment. And like, you don't have to help and you don't have to appreciate this. You know, it's not, it's not sustainable. It comes back down to that sustainability and it's okay to feel differently today than you did a year ago. Everything is in a new context and you have to kind of approach with a fresh mind. And that's why I will say too, these conversations are helped just like in a, in a, in a one-on-one relationship that they don't happen just once a year that you're checking in and that you're the more frequently. And I know this is a burden for a lot of companies and, and just not just your company in particular, but you have to invest energy in relationships to say, maybe check in on a quarterly basis or at least a semi-annual basis so that these, these conversations don't seem so stark, but it's okay to be totally changed. I mean, your boundaries in the moment are your boundaries and you're not a slave to any sort of precedent that you've set in the past. And I think it's really important that people feel emboldened to not feel weighted down by that because just because you gave it free last year, doesn't mean you can give it free forever. And it's just that everything changes every moment. It's okay to change. 
an exercise that I think that is very helpful if you find yourself in that circumstance is, is asking yourself, do you know your services? And I, it sounds like a, a simple question, but do you really know your services in detail? Because what are you giving away for free? Like in the scenarios where you're giving something away for free, is it a uh, you know clearly a service, or is it you answer a lot of extra emails, you know, or is it a matter of the scope of the service? But the first step is detail very granularly exactly what all your services are. What are the pieces of value that you give away that that you can offer and you know to the market? Because if you don't have that detailed well, it's very hard to know when you cross the line, especially if you're getting excited in the project, et cetera. So the first step is know your services very, very well. The second is know the market. You know, what's the value for your service? What's the market rate for X service? And because that's the other area that people go wrong, because if you are at market rate or even below market rate, then what's the next level? Like if, if the client is, if there is no negotiation, you're giving something for free, you're going to go below, below the market. And it's okay also to be above the market, just know what your value proposition is. So if you don't know your, yourself, if you don't know your services and you don't know your, um, uh, uh, your rates very, very clearly, it's very hard to, like I said, know when you cross the boundary. And then I think the third is know the terms of service, know what it takes to have a successful relationship with the client and detail that, be very, very communicative. So, you know, scenarios where it turns out the client's really three clients because the three, you know, head, the three senior people at the company have no idea what, you know, they're, they're not in alignment with one another or when the client changes their objectives halfway through or, you know, just so consider all the circumstances that affect your cost, affect your enjoyment and willingness to engage in the client, et cetera, and detail those out. And if you have all these things detailed out, at least you know when you've crossed a boundary. At least you know when something has occurred, and that definitely spurs an inability to let it fester for too long. But it's when we leave it amorphous that it allows us to keep going with it, and all we focus on is that hard conversation. And how do we have this hard conversation? No, no. You need to know your what first. You know, what is the problem? What is your, you know, what are your services? What are you giving away for free, et cetera? And once you do that, the conversation is a lot easier and it happens over time. You see that it's not one big moment in a conversation, but you, you, maybe it's, you don't give the next extra service away for free because you've been clear, ah, I've crossed the line, you know, et cetera. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that we just did this with one client. We were actually prepping for a renegotiation and we built a spreadsheet that basically said, here's every single line item, you know, all the services we've been offering for free, even like basic things, like here's the website that we've been paying for just on the side. And it was funny because after we detailed it to your point, once there was transparency, I was like, this doesn't even need to be a renegotiation. Like, I don't even need to go to the table and say like, oh, what are you willing to pay? It's just like, these are the facts. <laughs> and, you know, and, and these are the services that we've been giving away for free. We're not doing it, you know, anymore. Here's the services that we've been doing and here's how they break down, you know, to hourly rates and so on and so forth. And so it, this conversation and how illuminating that moment was, I think probably doing that for every single client, because I think especially in service consulting, there's a lot of ambiguity and a lot of like, well, you know, how many hours am I really spending on this? To your point, like if I'm shooting off a five minute email, 20 times a day, it feels like nothing because it's kind of like, well, it's just a bunch of emails, but it adds up. And so I think being able to really sit down and say, okay, what are all the services? How do they break down? How, what are the ancillary services? 
then all of a sudden you can look at it. And to your point, then it actually almost becomes less of a negotiation and kind of just going to the client being like, look, this is where we're at. Here's, you know, the facts. And, you know, again, to your point and, and bringing it all the way around, if there are parts of this, if you want to negotiate us down, or, you know, if you can't pay this, quite literally cannot pay this, that's fine, but something's going to have to go. And so it's not a matter of like, uh, well, like instead of for, you know, X dollars, am I willing to work for Y dollars? Instead, it's just like, okay, if you want to cut this budget, that's fine. Let's just figure out which one of these line items is going to go. And then the expectation needs to be aligned for the next year. So I think that probably is the next exercise for us. The dynamic you just mentioned also, like where it sounds like the client couldn't survive without you. Like if if you just you know, stop providing services suddenly, like their their website would, you know, like they wouldn't be able to function. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen that dynamic where the client is like, okay, I'm out of here. And they don't even realize they can't function without you. But whose fault is that? We've had that happen before. Right. But but whose fault is (laughs) that? Is that the client's fault or is that your fault? Like I'm the nice guy. I'm the one who's giving away all the services. I've done all this great stuff. No, you were the one who weren't communicative and nice. And I've been in this scenario myself and, you know, I've, I've learned from that experience, uh, unfortunately, too many times, you know, where you, especially if you're someone who's devoted and cares about the quality and, and what you're delivering and the value you're adding, it is very hard to think about this stuff at all times. So that's why if it's really well laid out at the beginning and, and especially at the start of the relationship where the terms are clear, the scope is super clear, when you're done is super clear it really makes it a lot easier to avoid that scenario. Yeah, and not in, in the beginning, especially, but like we've been saying on an ongoing basis, if you haven't been clear in the beginning, be clear now. Like you, you were starting the exercise of writing it down. I do think it's a, such a critical thing to take away from this conversation that it's not as easy as you think, especially in services to I, I articulate what you are offering and what you are actually doing for a client and the consulting industry, this is a pretty ubiquitous issue. So there's never any time wasted sitting down and writing down exactly the nature of what you were exchanging for like as a service to people as a starting point. And, and there's really, especially if you're analyzing, this is the work that I am currently doing. There's no contention there. It actually helps set a common ground. And I think that makes it easier for everyone to identify where they need to go from that point. So Heidi, thank you guys. This gives me an obvious next step. I think. I think Jonathan's going to say though, how are you feeling now after having? (laughs) I was going to say that I was trying to figure out how to say it, but, uh, (laughs) but that's right. You know, like we just, we just went through a therapy session. So. (laughs) Yeah, good. I mean, like you said, I think there's a lot of, um, it, it, it's an interesting point you brought up, Jonathan, of like, it's easy to sit there and say like, well, we're the good guys because we've given all these services away. And, you know, we're basically the ones like giving, giving, giving. But you're right. There's a certain amount of responsibility in just saying, um, there's a certain responsibility in saying like, if I haven't communicated it to the client and the client feels like they're okay, just walk in. And we, like I said, we've had that happen before where clients been like, okay, we'll leave. And you're like, we have all your resources. <laughs> yeah. And they notice it afterwards, like they'll leave and then they'll be like, uh, well, how, like, what do we do? And you're like, oh, that would have been a good, you know, that would have been a good conversation three weeks ago, not now. Um, so I think, but again, in that situation, it's easy to point and be like, ah, dumb client, like you didn't realize any of this, but that's really on me. And so I think 
Um, again, I'm feeling both the responsibility of communicating all of that, but also um, some clarity on how I do it. Because I think I, it, 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 I feel like a lot of it normally comes from me from an emotional space and being like, you know, I'm, we're worth more, like pay us more, but that's really not, I don't, I don't even have to go there. It's very easy to just say like, Hey, here's the work. We've broken it down. Here's like exactly what we're offering. And again, then it's even less of a negotiation and more of just like, okay, here's the facts. And like, let's work with the facts. And exactly. I would be much more comfortable doing that. So exactly. There's no big moment that you have to wait for at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Great. Well, it seems like we're at a good stop for another successful week of business therapy. So thank you so much, Heidi, for coming on and sharing what's going on in your professional life. And for anyone listening, if you guys want to come on and share some of your professional uh, issues on the show, we'd love to have you. So please comment or reach out. And other than that, we'll see you next week on business therapy.